Welcome to Fuji Love. This is the show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series and GFX cameras, but more importantly, it's about the photographers who love to use them. I'm Mark Sadowski, and this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, whether it's news, interviews, and so much more, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And now, on with the show. This week, we're welcoming back Dan Bailey onto the show. Dan is a former guest. He is also an amazing official Fujifilm X photographer, a great teacher. He has uh, an awesome YouTube channel that everybody should check out. His photography is really awesome. I can't say enough good things about this guy, and he is a great conversation. I'm happy to talk about the latest that he's been up to, as well as the recent controversy that was on Petapixel about the GFX 100 Mark II, or II, or however you want to call it. But we talk about that uh a little bit onto the on, on the show and uh yeah it was a great conversation so without further ado here we go so what have you been up to man well it's been an interesting summer i don't know when was the last time we, we spoke been a it while. was a little it's been a little while yeah um well the big news this year is that i crashed on my mountain bike and tore my rotator cuff oh damn that was at the end of april so that was almost six months ago. It was about six months ago. And uh, I had surgery in May. And so I'm pretty much on my road to recovery. So I'm actually biking again. And I'm, my strength's coming back. Nice. Flexibility is getting pretty close. So I didn't do a lot this summer. I walked a lot. Right <laughs> and, on. Uh, although... I didn't really even shoot that much, but I did, I had launched a, a an option for doing one-on-one coaching on my website. Very so cool. I, I think did, we talked I, about that last time. Yeah. So I did, so maybe we talked a year ago. About. Yeah. Cause I launched the coaching, I think back in October of last year. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, about a year ago. So I did a lot of coaching sessions with people this summer. I gave him a, a, a left-handed discount <laughs> in left-handed coaching because my right arm was in a sling. Yeah. My uh, brother had uh, a mountain biking accident as well. He's he's out in uh, the Seattle area, and oh. he broke his collarbone and, uh, like, cracked a rib, and I think he messed up his elbow a little bit. And, uh, yeah, collarbone is pretty common. In fact, as I was crashing, kind of falling towards that rock, I was thinking to myself, oh. yeah, I hope I don't break my collarbone. That could set me out a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he got messed up pretty good. Uh, I mean, he, this was, uh, like two years ago for him. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's much better now, but yeah, that's, that's rough. I'm glad you are on the mend. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm on this hero's journey kind of thing, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. <laughs> uh, you know, I've gotten through my, I slayed my dragon and I'm coming through the other side after all my trials. And 
Um, there you go. That's a great way to look at it. It's my first time being really seriously injured, first surgery. Um, so recovery is kind of like watching your hair grow. It, yeah. <laughs> day by day, you don't see any progress. Like, oh, man, it still hurts. It's still, I can't do anything with it. But month by month or week by week, you see these small bits of progress. And and then, you know, six months later, you've gained huge progress. And and I think anything is like that. I mean, I mean, learning photography is like that. You know, you don't you, you don't see huge gains every time you go out. But, you know, you do make small milestone uh you know, bits of progress along the way. Yep. And eventually, you know, a few months later, you realize, hey, I'm actually more comfortable with this skill or I'm shooting better photos than I did last, you know, last fall. Or You only realize how far you've come when you look at some of your old work and cringe. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's all part of it. Um, but I, I had a lot of fun doing the coaching this summer. Uh, and I, I did a lot of sessions with people. Some people did numerous repeat sessions. Um, so it's I thought it to be a really cool way to teach people and impart my knowledge and expertise and whatever other ideas we talked about. Um, I did a, a lot of people I helped set up their cameras, like their XH. You know, some of them say, oh, I just bought an XH2S. Uh, can you help me set it up for this kind of photography? I'm going to on a wildlife safari and need, I'm going to go shoot birds. I need, I need you help me set it up so I can shoot action with it. Yeah. And so that's, that's, uh, that was really cool. I, 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 I like teaching and that's the coaching is, was a perfect outlet for me this summer. That's amazing. So when you're uh, teaching everybody, uh, what have you noticed the most? Uh, are, are you finding that you're teaching more, uh, people that are switching systems or that are brand new to the Fuji system and to photography in general? I think most of the people I taught this summer, uh, I don't know that they were, were, were super new to the Fuji system, um, but a lot of them had new cameras. Like I said, X-H2Ss or X-T5s. Yeah. Uh, and so they wanted some tips on how to use those things. Um, and the other thing that I that happened this year, uh, I think this is an even bigger thing. It was for me anyway. In January, I launched a brand new online course called Mastering the Fujifilm Autofocus System, and Ooh. that that's sold really well. That's done great this year, and it's basically. I mean, I I cut my teeth shooting action and sports and adventure, and so I consider myself an expert with autofocus. And even with the Fuji cameras, you know, you'll hear that, well, they're not up to the action. They're not good enough for birds. They're not good enough for this. But funny, I'm able to shoot birds and fast action with them. So maybe it's not the camera. Yeah, you didn't get the memo. (laughs) Yeah, I I clearly missed something because I'm shooting, you know, all kinds of cycling and and birds and and, uh, all this super fast action, my Fujis. And I, yeah, clearly forgot to read the thing that says you can't. Yeah, it's not full frame. It's uh Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> that, but the course, I'm really excited about it because it has helped people become better and more efficient shooters because there's so much to autofocus and some of it's camera dependent 
and some of it's very specific setting dependent. So I go through all of the settings and I tell people what they do and how you can use each one for a particular type of shooting or whether it's something you don't need to worry about. Don't focus on that. Let's figure out what you do need to worry about. And then I have a whole section where I talk about the things that are not camera dependent, skills that you learn over time. Um, like the one that comes to mind right now is start tracking early. You know, if you if you want your your subject in the frame at a certain point, you know, in the in the picture, you you can't just wait for them to get there and then press the button and hope that you're gonna, you know, the camera's gonna go, oh, let's go ooh, acquire that. Ooh, okay, focus, oh, do all our stuff, got it. Okay, we got it. Because chances are it's it, you could have a lot of trouble. And depending on how fast your subject's moving or how complicated the scene is, you're asking a lot of the camera. So a lot of what I teach is teaching people how to manage expectations with the cameras because they do have limitations. And, and so, for example, like tracking early, you know, start tracking your subject well before the place you want it to be in the frame or where, how you want your composition to be, because that gives you time to let the camera do its thing. And its thing is the way it works is the, the camera and the lens look at the scene and analyze the situation and they work together and they communicate and the camera says, oh, I got this information from the lens. Uh, we think the cam we think the subject's moving this way at this rate of speed. So we'll tell the lens, the processor will tell the lens to move a certain way at a certain rate of uh, speed. And then as you're shooting continuously, you keep updating that information every with every shot the camera goes okay we got it this time but but it seems to be moving consistently but uh let, let's adjust here uh and so by the time you you give it time so it can get in its groove so that yeah. when you when you when this subject gets to the place where you want to photograph it that's the composition you want against that background and this light by the time you get there and you've kind of panned with it all the way you're in your groove and the camera's in the groove. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you just wait, it, it, but if you wouldn't know that unless you have experience shooting action, or you might not know that. And so that's one of the tips I give. I've got a whole series of them, of, you know, all these things that are totally not camera dependent uh, that will make a huge difference in the success, of, success or failure of your autofocusing with the cameras. And so I, I've, uh, yeah, the course has sold really well, and a lot of people have enrolled in it. And I'm really excited about the inf information, and I think it's a, a a really essential thing for any Fuji shooter, especially with the new cameras, because they yeah. are extremely capable, but they're they're complicated. So let's start by uh, having everybody uh, who is interested in it. Uh, where where can they find that course? Where can they uh, sign up for it? Uh, so my website, let's see, um, let me make sure I got uh, courses.danbaileyphoto.com. Awesome. And, and you'll see, you'll see the autofocus one in there. And then I have a creative course called photography on the brain. And then I have my coaching. Yep. And everybody, if you want a preview of how well Dan uh coaches which i highly recommend everybody do head on over to dan bailey's youtube channel to get kind of like a glimpse of how awesome he is because he is truly very down to earth 
and you have this great presentation where you're not talking down to people you're you're very much at everybody's level uh in a very friendly uh positive manner i i watch your channel all the time and it is uh a great breath of fresh air uh so feedback yeah so if anybody wants to just get a taste of how good your, your your teaching is that's a great place to kind of feel it out and then be confident that you're you're you're, you're putting your uh hard-earned money where it truly belongs in in something that will really help you um yeah and i'll even entice people even more uh, i'll give the listeners uh fuji love listeners a 20 percent discount on the course just use ooh. discount code use coupon fuji love there you go. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll so by the time this is uploaded, I'll have that discount code active. So Very cool. Listeners can get that. I uh, I may have to partake. <laughs> yes. So when and if you do, I'd appreciate feedback. You can leave me a review. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's I, I think it's something that, as I said, I'm an expert at autofocus. You know, again, I, I missed the memo that said you can't shoot fast up. <laughs> um, but I've been able to do it because I have the experience and the knowledge of how not just to use the camera settings, but how to deal with all of the stuff that that goes on with the cameras and that and scenes and trying to bring it all together. And that's the stuff I teach in my course. And it doesn't like whether you, whether you shoot animals or birds or grandkids or dogs, you know, your golden retriever puppies or cycling in any, any kind of, anything that moves, you can benefit from this course, which most things move, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> and much like kids, wildlife and bikes, they're, they're, yeah, they're all fast moving and completely yeah. unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. So maybe not the landscape shooters, but, but so, you never know. You never yeah, know. I mean, you might be shooting a landscape and suddenly like a moose sprints across the scene. Totally. I mean, you it, it's hard to pass up that opportunity. And actually, I would argue that most, like, you would have a lot of landscape shooters have kids and grandkids, and they also like to photograph their families and stuff. And so that's that was one of the things I worked with a guy this summer during coaching. You know, he loves shooting landscapes, but he also loves photographing his children and his grandkids. And and I helped him, you know, just become more efficient with that. I don't that's, that's satisfying. It's satisfying to get a shot that's sharp. Yes. And I mean, that's kind of the thing of the thing with photography. If you don't get your picture sharp, none of the other stuff matters. It's kind of all out the window. You can have great light, a great expression, great scene. But if you don't nail the focus, it sort of doesn't matter. It defeats the purpose. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're trying to photograph your kids and just praying for a good shot. Just one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. with uh, with the action photography, you, you mentioned the cameras that people are buying, all very capable of uh, uh, capturing action. For like bird photography, what would you suggest would be the best ideal lens that people should use for uh, that kind of photography, in your opinion? Uh, this summer, uh, right between the time I crashed and got injured and had my surgery, I did a weekend birding event in Ohio 
at the, at the biggest week of birding event. That was that. It's a, a huge event out there in uh, outside of Toledo. Uh, and so I got a chance to shoot with the XH2S and the 150 to 600. Ooh. And and that 150 to 600 is a sweet lens. I I would say it's kind of the it's the lens that's sort of tailor made for wildlife and birding photographers. Um, because you have the extra reach and you can use the teleconverters. And it has uh it has a, a features that the 100 to 400 does not have. Uh it has uh you know four basically four function buttons that you can program. And so you can have the buttons either be AF on, so basically press to focus, as if you're doing back button back button focus or something. Interesting. A lot. Of, I know a lot of people like back button fo- back button focus. So you can have AF on, press a button on the lens, it's it focuses. You can have so that the button locks AF lock. So you got a scene, you want to make sure the focus doesn't move, uh, or you can set a focus recall. So let's say you're photographing you're photographing a bird's nest and you've got you've got your focus preset on that nest but you want to photograph some other stuff uh and then wait till the eagle comes back to the nest and so you you can shoot you know you'll set your preset on the nest and then go shoot a bunch of other stuff and then as soon as you at a corner of your eye you see the eagle flying back to the nest you you know just whip the lens back hit that recall button and it'll focus go right there and you know, like you won't get confused you won't have to oh wait wait i gotta grab focus and compensate because it got tree branches in front of the nest and that's so, pretty cool yeah so the 100 to 400 or the 150 to 600 is is super capable uh especially on especially on the uh xh2s i mean even the xt5 i i actually one of my favorite shots from the weekend i made with my xt5 and the 7300 and again, I for, no, I I missed, totally missed the memo that the XT5 mm-hmm. is not an action camera. Um, but I got this photo of a red winged blackbird flying. I got two black red winged blackbirds. One of them, the bird is just taking off of this little post. Just oh, I got like a tree stump, like a tall thin tree stump, and it's just taking off, like barely off of the post, which is an incredibly hard picture to capture. And the other one was this red winged blackbird flying through these, like I'm shooting through these grass reeds, like this tall grass. And so I've captured it in flight uh, right in this, in this grass. And that was just with the, with the 7,300. I love the 7,300. That's, that's a lens that I'm looking forward to buying at some point. It is. It, yeah. I fell in love with that lens more than I thought I would. Cause I had the 50, Five to two hundred for quite a few years, and it was good. It's a good lens, uh, but it was never my favorite lens because it's not as fast as the seven, the one fifty to six or the fifty to one forty. Yeah, um, but it's a decent size. But man, the seventy three hundred, just updated optics and autofocus motor, uh, and the capability to use the teleconverters. And it has much closer focus. So I spent a lot of time uh, a couple summers ago shooting. Uh, yeah, the summer of COVID. Co- summer of COVID, I shot wildlife uh, or not wildflowers in my garden. My wife grew like a hundred zinnias and all these other flowers that year. 
And so I used the teleconverter and the extension tube on the 7300 and got some really great close-up flower shots. Nice. So it's really capable and it's it's just a sweet lens. It's really powerful. Super light too. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to be a little bit uh, thick on the glass, but when when I got to borrow it from Fujifilm, they, uh, I mean, it was it was just super light. It was, I, I mean, this is a, a lens that I could just take with me anywhere. It, it's it's definitely worth uh, keeping in the bag. Yeah, and that's a really good point because take anywhere. It is a lens you'll take anywhere. Like I, I don't, I have the 100 to 400 don't actually own the 150 to 600, but even if I did, I wouldn't take it very often. I rarely take the 100 to 400 when I do need it and use it. It's a fantastic lens, but I'm not going to carry that, those big lenses every day. Yeah. So like when those two photos that I talked about that I shot with the one, the 7,300 red wing blackbirds, that was you know, in that late afternoon after the event was over. And so we'd locked all the gear back. We'd locked all the gear away and everybody left for the you know, the end of the day. So I stuck around for about an hour and just kept shooting photos with my X-T5 and the 7300, which those were my lenses. So I was able to use that. And like I said, I was able to get photos that I love and it doesn't take up very much room in the bag. It's a it lens you can carry anywhere. And that's... <laughs> That's so important because that's why the telephone is such a great camera because you always have it with you. Yeah. And so having it with you is the, that kind of portability is, is oftentimes way more important factor when thinking about buying a lens uh, than, you know, why can I can get the longer glass, but am I really going to carry it all the time? And the answer is probably not, or else if you do, it'll be un, kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. You just have better have the bigger bag, camera bag. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not like I I'll clarify, it's not like it's a huge lens. We had uh people come to the table, uh, to the demo table, and you know, former Canon and Icon shooters or whatever, and they would come and check out the 70 or check out the fifth, you know, these numbers in my head mixed up. Oh, I totally check out. So we we would have the 7300 and the 150 to 600 and the 200 f2 next to each other on the table and so they would people would check out you know the the 150 600 and pick it up and it is a big lens compared to all the other fuji lenses especially the little primes which i love yeah but like compared to a full frame 150 600 or you know it's it's really People were surprised at how light it was, and it's not that big. So, it, you know, I say it's it, it's a bigger lens. Are you really going to carry it all the time? It's not that big. You know, you don't. It's not like you have to have an extra suitcase to lug it around. Right. It's, it's all relative. Not, yeah, it's all relative. It's just not as convenient to carry as something like the seventy three hundred. With uh, bird, let's let's stick with bird photography for a little bit because that's something that I started to play with around uh, the COVID time because, well, there was really nothing else to do at that time. Yeah. Um, Plus, uh, birds are a big thing. People, I can't. That's, 
serious passion that yeah. I've learned to uh, two things not to mess with. Uh, one, people who are in, in, into yeah. uh, toy collecting, and two, don't mess with bird photographers. The because, BIF guys, yeah. Oh man, they. Uh, yeah. I I think this is the first time I was testing the seventy to three hundred. Uh, I, I I don't remember what lens it was to be honest. I'm pretty sure it was the seventy to three hundred, and I was walking around with my XE two. And this one area uh, in my uh, local uh, set of towns where eagles like to, uh, at low tide, close to the coast. Wait, uh, you're, Bo- you're near Boston, right? I'm north of Boston. Um, and like, like in the Newburyport area, there's okay. uh, there's an island called Deer Island. And right behind, yeah. right in front of that. Yeah is uh, eagle island yeah we don't have rain uh a, a good look at eagle island because deer <laughs> island is right in front of it and all the deer are walking around <laughs> in the way of the eagles right and surprisingly no deer uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh but when they come out at low tide they, they like to to fish in the waters and and so there there's a lot of uh bird photographers and just bird watchers that that are in that area and Dear God in heaven, you would think that they're shooting with, with howitzers, like the, the massive tripods, these crazy rigs with these telescopic lenses that they're, they're using cranks to move things around. It's like, oh, yeah. Wow. And, and there I am with my puny <laughs> Fuji camera with my puny yeah. lens. It's like, um, wow. So, that- you know, so you know that I have a little Cessna airplane, right? Yes. Yeah, so I've been to the, you know, seeing birding people with their gear and between their huge carbon fiber tripod and their huge expensive like Nikon D5 with a 600 F4 or whatever, you know, basically that setup is more expensive than my airplane. <laughs> Dear God, that's... Yeah. And they're super I believe serious. it. And that's... Oh, yeah. I, for, I totally forgot to miss the... I totally missed the memo again. Because I like to photograph birds too, and I'm pretty good at it. But I'm kind of happy, go lucky, just you know, just not too ser- super serious. So, yeah, like the total disconnect. I, I'm I'm not shouldn't even be allowed to shoot birds. <laughs> anyway, we didn't see any eagles. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, they probably got scared of the the, the freaking arsenal <laughs> that was waiting for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, when it comes to bird photography, how much of how much of what you're going through with the Fuji cameras, like wh- how much of it is knowledge on how the camera operates versus how much the camera can help you operate? Uh, wh- what do you think in, in in your experience? What have you seen? Like, uh, would it be something that you can like quantify as fifty fifty or because well, one um, thing I would say is that, uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, one, one thing, because I could hear it in my head, uh, my buddy who's a Nikon shooter and another buddy of mine who's a Sony shooter saying, well, my camera could just do it automatically. It, it, I don't have to worry about anything. It just locks on just like that. And yeah, 
I mean, that's what they would say. I don't know if that's exactly right. what's happening. So um, they they do like to brag. Yeah, and against it, why? So it's um, So again, I totally missed the memo because I was photographing birds with my XT one. Yeah, and in fact, some of the photos in my course are are from my XT one and two, and the two was way more capable than one in terms of autofocus. Uh, and the three XT three and four were way more capable than the two, but I've been able to get birds, uh, and capture birds with every generation of X series. So from that standpoint, well, I guess with the earlier cameras, it was definitely a matter of, uh, knowing how to do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was more critical with the older cameras. You couldn't be lazy with it. No, no, you couldn't. And especially like the XT1, you only had 15 phase detect points in the middle of the frame. Yeah. Where and so the XT2 you had way more and it wasn't until the XT3 where you had 100% coverage of fat, the fast phase detect pixels, you know, all over the frame. Um with the newer cameras you can be lazier or it doesn't require as much technical like you know kind of supreme technical knowledge or just the experience of you know knowing how to do it yeah because the autofocus systems are way faster way more capable with the algorithms and this new fifth generation of the fujis which the xt5 xh2 and h2s have the new subject detect autofocus system yeah and so one of the so it, when you go into that menu and and enable subject detection on, you can choose between any number of subjects. And there's like six. There's there's animals, bicycles, motorcycles, cars, trains, planes, and birds. And birds includes insects as well. That came in a later firmware update. Oh, so you, interesting. You choose birds. And it basically works like face detection which has also gotten way faster over the years. Like with the X-T1, you couldn't shoot continuous mode with face detection on. But now you can do ultra-fast continuous with face detection or subject detect. And the nice thing about that this new system, the subject detection, you don't have to move the little, scroll the little focus box around the frame or figure out, well, do I need a bigger zone? Uh, or should I make a really big zone or use wide tracking, but that might grab the other stuff and not the bird I'm looking for. So there's all, again, all this technical knowledge of trying to figure out exactly which setting and how to apply it with the subject detect on, it's going to find the bird and it's just going to track it all over the frame. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's crazy. It's how fast it is, how smart it is. So that's the, the part, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's AI, so it's kind of, um, that that's the good thing about AI is it's help, it can help us make better photos. There's so many things about AI that like freak, freak people out and like, well, do we really need that? And the answer is no for a lot of it. But with the subject detection, it's just a matter of the camera's processor looking through the lens and recognizing a bird, recognizing right. what the subject is, and then staying and then keeping the focus locked. And that's that's because the newest the newer sensors, 
Because with mirrorless cameras, the autofocus sensors are on the sensor itself. Or the autofocus, yeah, the autofocus pixels or sensors are on the sensor itself. Really? So, so new, how was it on a DSLR before? So with the DSLR, uh, the autofocus has, so basically you have a, you know, when you look through the frame, when you look through the viewfinder, you're looking through the pentaprism, and so the, yep. eye, the light bounces around, and essentially you're looking out the lens. So in reverse, the light, when you photograph something, light comes into the lens, and and most of the light bounces up into the pentaprism, so you can see it, but some of the light is bounced down by a secondary mirror, and there are two autofocus sensor, sensors in the bottom of, of the camera body, below the mirror. And these, they basically work by comparing the image that gets duplicated onto each of these sensors and then figuring out when they line up correctly. And if they don't line up, the camera sent, the processor says, okay, we need to move the lens this way at this rate of speed. Okay, now they line up. And so it's kind of like seeing double. At some point, yeah. you don't see double anymore. You've got one frame or you know one subject uh but the, so in that so that's that's a mechanical piece of component that's sitting in the bottom of the camera i didn't know that that is amazing news but with a mirrorless camera the autofocus sensors are part of the sensor yeah so a new generation camera will have a newer sensor and the technology is improved that's why all of the later cameras have faster autofocus. In addition, it's all soft, it's all run by software. And so the the firmware updates can be applied, can can be put into new to cameras to increase performance of the pixels that are already in the camera. And so Fuji's continued to uh, refine their autofocus over the years. Um, but clearly they didn't get the memo because you can't. <laughs> so I, I, I sometimes advertise for my course, um, with Facebook ads. <laughs> so maybe people have seen these, but <laughs> it's funny because most people will comment, uh, or a lot of people will comment and say, you know, I've, I've tried this course. It's great. You know, this has really helped me out. Thanks for putting this out. Uh, but every once in a while, somebody will comment and say something stupid, like lesson one, press the button. Or lesson one, buy a good camera and press the button. Or buy a Sony, press the button. Done. <laughs> if, if it was a Sony, exactly you don't need what a I mean. <laughs> if it was a Nikon, you don't need a manual for focus. You just press the button and it works. Like, think, okay, you know what? I'll challenge you. You bring your you bring your your whatever, and we'll get the fastest, craziest subject movement, and we'll see who can get the sharper shot. <laughs> Has anybody ever taking you on that challenge no i i've never really put it out there but um i mean i guess i just did <laughs> I mean, uh, unfortunately i don't think we get many uh sony and canon and nikon yeah. listeners on the show i mean it would be a fun challenge um and and i mean you you could do it with a friend go out i mean you kind of do this anyway you go out and shoot with your friends you know you're trying to nail the same subjects and some sometimes you get it and sometimes they get it or sometimes neither of you get it. Yep. And and you're excited when you get it. And that's the cool thing. You're like, oh my, oh my God, you got it. That's so awesome. You got the eagle. I, I got it here, but you got it like in the better place in the frame. And like right when it was grabbing the fish or whatever. Yeah. Right when it was pawing that guy's eyeballs out. And 
<laughs> so awesome. Or it makes a turn in the sky that just, yeah, just look and, epic. And that's and that's what you get from uh, a higher frame rate too, like the X H2S, 40 frames a second, blackout free shooting, the electronic shutter. And like, yeah, 40 frames a second, that's a lot of editing. But if something's moving that fast, you can get that kind of precision to get it in the exact place in the frame where you want it. Yep. Like the X-T5 max is at 15 frames a second. Uh, uh, I think you can do 20 with the, the sports finder mode on. And I've generally found that to be adequate. Um, but I mean, that's again, you, you have that capability in something like the X-H2S, which is designed to be, you know, the premier camera the x-series line for shooting the fastest subjects and the fastest motion and so that's what you get with technology wait the xh2s that one's that one's for speed that one's the the yeah uh, so that one has the stacked sensor stacked sensor yeah so it's not as high resolution as the xh2 or the xt5 which the the xh2 and 5 had the exact same sensor so in a way those are identical cameras but at the same time the xh2 and s are identical cameras in other ways because both of those have the type b card slot and a slightly larger buffer so you get you can get uh you know more frames more you know higher bursts of raw frames and and higher video specs and stuff yeah higher higher megabits uh, you know bit rates for shooting video but I mean, like I said, the XT5, fantastic camera, will still do action perfectly well. It'll still do great quality video. I love my XT5. I've I've used the XH2S and it's great, but I'd rather just use my XT5 because it's so much fun. I just love the form factor. I've also used the the XH and the uh, XH2 and the XH2S. Uh, great cameras, but. For me, I, I love the form factor of the XT series. Uh, and I, I think about, you know, getting an XH2S for video, like a dedicated video camera, because it does have higher video specs. Um, but, you know, video is kind of a rabbit hole. And I, I'm limited in what I do with video. I do YouTube videos, although I haven't made any since I've been hurt. I made a cup. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> no worries, man. I'm I made a couple. The same thing. You can cut that out. I'm limited in <laughs> what I do. I'm limited <laughs> what I do with video. I make I make YouTube videos, tutorials, and I do little adventure videos, kind of little minorly cinematic things. But I don't even shoot in 4K because it's just more computer space, more computer processing speed. Yep. And so I wouldn't even. I think for a lot of stuff I do, I wouldn't even take advantage of the of the uh, XH2S's capabilities. But I will say, if I really did want to become a cinematic, like a pro cinematic photographer, I just get the new GFX second edition, the 100, and get like you know hundred thousand dollar Panavision lenses to use with it. <laughs> have you uh, have you played with the GFX system? No. Well, I, I I I've shot a tiny bit with the original GFX. Yeah, this was the GFX fifty, like the first generation, and I mean it's it's amazing. And I'm I've like run through all the specs of the new one, the new hundred second edition, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's technically called the GFX 100, the second, like Pope John Paul, the second. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if everybody's going to refer to it that way, but that's the official designation. Um, so I know all the specs and I've, I've you know gotten the rundown from the tech rep. Um, it's incredible. Um, but I just don't want a heavy camera. <laughs> I just like the little, you know what? I'm, I'm with you on that. I got the chance to use the GFX 100. I, I like referring to it as the Mark two. Um, you can't do that. You, you can't call it the Mark two. That's like uh, yeah. I'm like sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. You know what? I'm nostalgic for the Canon <laughs> Mark II. That I, I just a little side jag here. Uh, the the 5D Mark II. I I still remember that very well. Just watching that Vincent Lafaray video. Uh, that that short movie that he did. I think just broke the internet uh, for photographers. And I I think I think he and he alone is responsible for the majority of the Canon 5D Mark II sales. Uh, I mean, there are certain people that were already sold, but man, did he, did he start a fire with that one? And I was never a Canon shooter. I was a Nikon guy before, but I do totally recognize the, the immense place in photography history that the the 5D Mark II had. Yeah, it was huge camera. It it was an event. And, uh, I'm glad I was uh, around for it. And it's funny, like the whole Mark II thing, uh, you know, it's not just cameras. I, I, uh, I've i got my eye on a delay pedal. Uh, this this pedal is called the DL4. That What's was delay pedal? Yeah, uh, oh, for guitar. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, guitar, <laughs> a stomp box. Yeah, because I'm a guitar player and I blow my photo money on guitars and, and effect. And it's all good, man. You're a great musician. Yeah. Um, and so line six had this, they came out with this pedal called the DL4. It was this really cool delay pedal that came out in the nineties and it was hugely successful and popular. Well, a few years ago, they came out with a new version and it's the DL4 Mark II. <laughs> <laughs> new capabilities. And so, but the GFX is the Mark II. <laughs> you can't call the GFX the Mark II. So you'll get really mad. Uh, that's probably why they're not answering my emails anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the the, yeah. the GFX, the 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 two, um, it it is second. The, the second, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna fry me. Like if you are Mark Sadowski the second. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, it, 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 great camera. I, I I loved it. I got to photograph a wedding with it, and. I mean, I had the couple running up and down the beach. I had, uh, and the lighting was it, was, it was close to sunset, very cloudy day. And it, it was still tracking them like a champ. Like, well, uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's how it was built. It's, it's an action capable camera. It's, it has the fifth generation autofocus system. It, it's, it's big, big sensor camera with fast very fast speed and and very high quality specs for video and autofocus and all this stuff. Have you read or heard anything about the uh, Petapixel article on uh, the the 
quote unquote controversy of the GFX? No, I I don't. Yeah, I I don't read too much of that stuff. But yeah, enlighten me. Ah, you know what? I wish I could uh, because uh, it, it was uh, talked about. Uh, let me see if I can bring it up. Uh, talked about how, and again, very technical stuff. Stuff that oh, I hear Fuji isn't telling the truth. The whole yeah. thing about GFX. Yeah, so so I'm looking at this article now, and it says like it just talks about the GFX, and then then like the the controversy starts halfway down. It says 102 megapixels at eight frames a second with a catch. And yeah, a gentleman by the name of Jim Kaysen, uh basically saying that the the bit reading is being dropped. Uh, from uh 14 16 or 14 bits to 12 bit quality uh at uh low isos and high burst rates um and i have no idea what any of this means and i listened to their podcast where they had him on as a guest and it sounded like that he was saying that it probably doesn't translate or or it doesn't really matter and that's exactly what it means um the thing is like a 12-bit image is more color information than the human than than any monitor any any monitor is going to be able to show right and and it's certainly higher resolution or higher color information than any printing is going to be able to to do and it sounded like a non-issue to me it's a yeah the whole when you get into stuff like that, it is a non-issue because like when you shoot a photo, uh, whether it's a 12 bit or 14 bit, you know, you can, it, you'll shoot it and then open it up in Photoshop or whatever photo processing software you're using. When you open the photo, uh, and I guess this is software dependent. Like if you're going to open it in Adobe camera raw, you actually open it as a 16 bit image. So it kind of upscales the image and then gives you a you know huge amount of latitude to adjust the photo and the colors, but in, in the end you export down to eight pit anyway. Yeah, because no device and no printing can do more than eight bit, which is, I mean, you, you can probably you can have higher resolution monitor, higher color bit monitors um than than 8 bit but i mean for from you know the funny thing is most people are going to view things on the web it, right <laughs> which is like it, like you don't even need 100 megapixels to to do a full screen picture on the web you could get by with like a 6 megapixel camera it it just yeah, now, I, I mean, from my point of view, I, I lack the knowledge to, to, to understand all the details to it. I, I inferred from the tone of his voice that this was kind of fine. Um, he, he said he had more testing to do, uh, and, and such, and he seemed like he he seems like a decent fellow. Uh, yeah. there, there are a lot of people who like to do a lot of 
very critical testing of things, but that's not photography. That's not making pictures that you love, that excite you, right? Inspire you and and your viewers. <laughs> and, and then the hosts of the Petapixel show. I'm, I'm not trying to make waves or anything like that, so I, yeah. I, I'll spare it. But it just, it just felt I like Fuji's it, not calling you back, dude. <laughs> right, right. And Fuji's not exactly <laughs> paying me or or doing anything. Um, they, I am very insignificant in their eyes. Um. It just, it just seems like this was a gotcha when it doesn't feel like a gotcha. It, like it's, it's there's so many things where people go looking for problems that either don't exist or they're negligible influence or effect on ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the people who are ever yeah. going to use this gear. You, you could you could pick apart anything. You could pick apart my coffee cup. You know this coffee cup has inherent flaws, and it's not performing as well as it could because it has a slightly wider base, and so therefore the liquid is going to cool more quickly because you lose the surface area, more surface area. Blah 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 blah. blah. Look, plus let's I, not even get started I on your cup. It, plus, I dropped it in the sink and chipped it, uh, so I had it's a, not even full frame. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, and I plus I had to <laughs> use super glue to put it back together. Um, but I like my coffee cup. If you, you can't see it, it's an Eddie Van Halen guitar coffee cup. Oh, Jesus, yes. That, which, that, that is I, the best it, cup in the has, world. And so when when Eddie died in 2020, um I I you know, my impulse, you know, growing up in the 80s, you know, as a mm. guitar player is hugely monumentally influential. And so I bought myself an Eddie Van Halen guitar, Frankenstein guitar coffee mug. That's what I drink my tea out of every morning. I'm drinking right Eddie now. Van Halen was a god with the, with the guitar. I, yeah. I think I and heard. So he, that, and Eddie is like he's a good example because he didn't get the memo on a lot of stuff either, because he did a lot of stuff that was really unorthodox, and in ways that people would never teach you to do. Or he would use gear in ways that they're not designed to be used. And he was a tinkerer, but he was an artist and he was a genius artist. Yes. And 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 it doesn't like it's it there are so many guitar players, so many musicians or photographers or people with cameras or whatever. You can be, you can have this encyclopedic knowledge of how everything's supposed to be work and and be technically perfect at everything but if you don't have that out there artistic nature where you're going to come up with stuff that nobody has ever come up with before then what is it that that's what that's the stuff that matters yeah like i said discussing whether the 12-bit or 14-bit gfx blah 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 that's not photography that's not capturing images that you love that inspire you that make you want to hold this camera and run around with it outside and try to make beautiful, impactful, creative photos. Yep. And that's what matters. And as I'm listening to this podcast, I am, uh, I was editing those photos from, from that beach wedding that I did. And I am, I'm looking at a photo of the bride and groom together, nighttime shot. The only thing that's lighting them is, 
like the, the, the these uh, strings of light that are hanging next to them, and it, it's a bloody awesome shot. It it is gorgeous. Yeah, but see, you don't really know, and and you're mistaken because it it wasn't really shot in 14 bit. It was only 12. I know. I, who, yeah. I, I be I I have to it's be the, really, to tell the bride and groom. Mark. <laughs> I hate to bring this to you, but those aren't really great photos because, you know, blah, 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 12-bit, 14-bit. Yeah, it's going to be devastating for the bride to hear that it's only 12-bit. That that's, uh, reminds me of, you know who Matt Kozlowski is? I know the name. Yeah, he's he's um, he's kind of like, um, he's one of these photo, one of the Photoshop experts. Oh, uh, right, right, right. He did, yeah, he's... He's kind of like Scott Kelby. Uh, he teaches, you know, expert of, expert at Adobe and Photoshop and stuff, and he teaches workshops. Well, I was teaching a workshop. Uh, there was a bunch of us. Uh, it was a Great Smokies workshop, and he was one of the instructors. So I got to talk to him and see some of his presentations. And so one one of the things he was saying is is one time he's out there shooting these night skies at like ISO thirty two hundred, you know, because it's dark. He's shooting at night. Yeah. And he's just, you know, messing around, shooting night skies, blah, 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 high ISO. And then the next day he had a like a portrait shoot and, you know, high school senior portrait or something. And so next day he picks up his camera and shoots the whole series and then gets home and realizes, oh, my God, I left the camera at ISO 3200. Oh, I've done that. Oh, my before. God. They're going to freak out. The parents are going to freak out. Oh, my God. It's going to be it's going to be so the picture's going to be so grainy. It's going to be, oh, my God, I totally blew it. It's like. The world, the sky is going to fall. These poor people. And the mother called him and said, oh, my God, Matt, we love these photos so much. Thank you. You did such a wonderful job photographing our daughter. And then she followed up. Yeah, was this a full nobody camera? cares. <laughs> That's the thing is, like, we're, we're camera geeks. We geek out on this stuff. But nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares what ISO your photo was shot at. If it has beautiful light and has captures a beautiful and compelling moment, and if it's great composition, nobody cares about any of that stuff, and you shouldn't either. Right? It's it, and it, by the, you, it's the proverbial you, all of the people who are listening. Right? Yeah. Uh, Fuji, Fuji love listeners are are smart enough to to know all that stuff already. So I'm sure. Well, we hear it all the time. It, it, yeah, you right. know, we have to deal with it. The 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 whole. It's not full frame kind of garbage, yeah. which, by the way, I, I, I've said this numerous times on, 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 on the show. Full frame has the best PR agent because, first of all, it, it's it, it, when you really think about it, it's it's totally asinine. My camera Isn't it like is, a full frame consortium. Well, like, think about it. My my all my Fuji cameras use the whole frame. It's That's using true. the full frame. <laughs> they, oh my god! Right? <laughs> I know. What does full frame even mean anymore? It's just we're far enough removed from film that that most people don't even know. That's that's it's, what what it was a, what came from. It's yeah, a, it's thirty five millimeter size. Concept. It's an irrelevant concept. I, was it? I was joking with somebody. Maybe it was with you last time. It was like, like. Well, what's full frame? Well, it's bigger than it's it's bigger, bigger than what? Bigger than APS-C. What about medium? What about the GFX? What's bigger? Bigger than what? Bigger than full frame. So is it? So is it medium? What's medium? It's bigger. It's like it's just this like 
Laurel and Hardy type like stuff, like you could, it, it's just meaningless. It's just completely yeah, it's like like it, it's archaic technology. Like Fujifilm likes to say that their medium format cameras are large format, which yes. It technically is. <laughs> it's just GFX is technically, I guess, I think that the correct technical term is the GFX has a big ass sensor. Right. It, it is larger than full frame. <laughs> yeah. So you have APS-C, uh, full frame, and big ass sensor. Right. Yeah. And then I guess phase one is technically bigger, but then, you know, let them come up with their own marketing term. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, it. it's, Nobody cares. It's irrelevant. And yeah. Like, I'm a pro. I should shoot with, like, the GFX because, you know, I need the highest quality, but I, I'm... The X-T5 is perfectly adequate for what I do, and and the thing that, that I often will tell people is, yeah, a bigger sensor will, will reproduce an image larger uh, with less breakup the bigger you go. It's just That's just the math of it. But a bigger photo or viewing uh, reproduction size is relative to viewing distance. Yes. Viewing distance the other way around. So if you have an like an eight by ten size photo shot with a small sensor, little bitty sensor, you know, point and shoot or whatever, and you're gonna stand, you know, a foot away from the wall and look at it, or two feet away, and you might see a little bit of grain. If you if you look really close, put your eye right up to the canvas, you might see a lot of grain, but no one's going to look at a picture of an inch away. It's stupid. Right. If you have a billboard shot in your GFX, which has a big-ass sensor, uh, or an 8x10 camera or something huge, uh, huge is bigger than big-ass, by the way. That's all how this works. I have the chart in front of me, yeah. Yeah, there's big-ass, <laughs> medium, and huge, I think. Um, and then there's, I think, huge-ass, but... Uh, anyway, so let's not even get into the European metrics. They were first. <laughs> yeah. So you, have, anyway, you have a billboard size uh, or like like a poster you would see in the airport. So like a 10 foot wide, huge mural. You're going to look at it standing 10 or 15 feet away. You're not going to look at it one feet away like you would look at an eight by 10. Yeah. And so from 15 or 20 feet back, you're going to see the same kind of resolution you probably won't see any kind of resolution imperfections just as you wouldn't if you're looking at eight by ten from two feet away but yep. if you stood one foot away from the mural sure you're going to see breakup but that's stupid no one's going to look at a picture a mural one foot away right one thing can't even see the whole thing you're going to hurt your neck <laughs> <laughs> so yeah right viewing distance is relative to image reproduction size and it's all kind of the same ratio. It all looks the same, um, you know, when you view it at an appropriate size or appropriate distance for the size. Yeah, it's a crazy world we live in. Yeah. But and so the most important thing is whatever camera you have, the best thing is just to go take pictures that you love that inspire you. And what a novel concept. Yeah, and <laughs> or if... I mean, I guess if it's 12-bit versus 14-bit, you're really going to have a problem. Um, <laughs> or if it's full frame. But wait, what's better, full frame or huge ass? Oh, geez. I, I mean... Really getting confused here. <laughs> it's... I, I mean, it, it's... 
to the point where it, it it's just laughable now. And and it's kind of like this. I'm you know a geeky guitar player, musician guy, so I read. I actually spend more time on musician forums and guitar forums than I do on camera forums. Um, but it's all the same stuff. Like people will debate endlessly, like the minute differences between this distortion pedal and that distortion pedal. Well, this has a higher, this has slightly higher gain. This is a, a slightly warmer tone. And, you know, you might have a little bit more body in this and this, this has more mid tone. But if you're wailing away in a concert and people are screaming, no one will ever know the difference. Oh, he used the other distortion pedal. I can hear the slight bump in the mid range over all the screaming. <laughs> I want my money back. Take I want my deeper. money back. I came to expect him to use that pedal and he didn't use it. It's like, like we, we all can hear the nuances when we're paying attention, playing in our bedrooms, but out in a live gig, no one's ever going to know the difference. Yeah. Like, like Eddie could play through anybody's gear and sound exactly like Eddie. And and that's, you hear that all the time in interviews, like, you know, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, you know, he'll, Eddie played my rig and it sounded like Eddie. And then I played Eddie's rig and it sounded like me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I forgot he died. Yeah, it's I, sad. That is that that is a loss to the world. Yeah, it was a huge loss. But but that's the same with cameras. Like I could pick up your camera and take pictures that would look like I took them. And you could pick up my camera and you know and <laughs> they would look like <laughs> ah, sorry that's okay we could pick up each other's cameras and we could we would yeah it's just we all have our own style and our style comes through our tools and our gear no matter if you're playing rock and roll guitar or taking photographs that, you know what that is speaking of which that that is one of the things that i love about the fuji gear is that you could pick up any of the cameras and uh, you're essentially going to get the same quality sensor. You're going to have the, the, the same feel for the most part. Uh, yeah. The GH, uh, the, the, the GH system, a yeah. little different in, in, in uh, the, the, the operational part, but sensor wise and, and output. Yeah. You, that's kind of a cool thing about get. the X series is they don't they don't kind of dumb down the the cameras in terms of quality you know you have your your XT30 uh you know same sensor as the XT3 or the XT you know 4 same sensor as all the you know the at, at every generation you have the same sensor trickle across all the models yeah obviously features and camera build and design and controls may vary but for the most part in inside they're all the same. Yep. That's, and that's cool. You mentioned that you uh that that you're looking at the the XH series for some video stuff. Have you tried the XS20? I have uh but only playing around with it uh in the store. And that is an amazing little camera. I got to say is like, pretty sick. Um Yeah, it it really is a sick little camera. It's 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 amazing because it has the the sensor, the same sensor as the XT4, yep. but the same processing technology of the newer cameras. Yep. And so you've got 
uh, a lot of the new autofocus features. So performance on the XS20 is outstanding. And you've got some new dedicated video features. So that is like the, there's no question, the XS20 is the best affordable Fuji yes. around. And it would make a great camera for just about anybody and make a great second camera, backup camera, if you wanted, if you had something bigger like an XH2S and you just wanted a backup just in case or a second camera for the price, that's the perfect choice. So in the next edition of the Fujilove magazine, I write an article about my time using the, the XS20 and it, I, I'll say this, I, I wrote it so that it, it was a bit of a laugh um, because when I got this camera, this camera is so easy to use that at every step of the way, I over, I overthought everything and I, I, I just made things harder for myself. And it, like, like it, I, I got to borrow it from Fuji for, for about a month and like, return your calls. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the other reason why, because I, I reached out to my rep saying, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. And true, true enough. He was very patient with me and I was a complete and utter idiot. Like for example, the, this camera is made to just plug and play as a webcam. And yeah, that's and, cool. I, and I've been using the, uh, my, my X-T4 as a webcam for a while now. And I, I downloaded the software and, and I selected the software and, and it, you know, I got the X-T4 to, to work great. And then when I plugged in the XS20, like, you know, I'm using the Fujifilm software, like nothing is working and, and I'm trying to do tech, tech, uh, you know, j just trying to figure out why it's not working. And, and Fuji, uh, like their tech people were like, well, if you try this, try this. I'm like, I did all of that. It, it's not working. And, and, and then what ended up happening was all I needed to do was select the camera as my webcam. And that's, that's all I needed to do. I had it. I had it default to the software that works with the XT4 and the XT5 and all that. Yeah. I was selecting that instead of selecting the actual camera. And, and so it was like, Oh my God, I can't believe how much of an idiot I am. <laughs> yeah. We've come a long way with that. Cause when we first had the pandemic and zoom, uh, they Fuji came out with the, the webcam software. Yes. And that's what I was trying to use. Yeah, and that does work. It. it does work, but yeah, with the newest camera, you just plug it in, and boom, it's there. You choose yep. it, recognizes it. Yeah, yeah. I I had no issues with the camera as far as like what once I figured out how to use everything, <laughs> and just really just allow myself not to 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 get in the way of myself. Um, like like it it just. It was just awesome. So light, so easy to use. Uh, and the only thing I had an issue with, and I don't know if it had, a, if this was just the, the pre-production thing that I, uh, the, the model that I was using, uh, or if it was something else, uh, because it was also in the middle of the summertime and new England had a pretty, pretty crazy, uh, heat wave, uh, many of the times like, uh, when I was using it as a webcam, 
uh, on long calls after about 20 minutes, I did see the heat light come on. Oh, yeah. uh, but then you know it's not it's not the professional model uh it doesn't have the same heat management i guess that the other cameras do like the xh would have uh, yeah i mean that when you start doing when you start running this uh, that software continuously or like the video stuff it does it yeah that does heat up yeah I mean, I'll still get this camera. I'll I'll just buy the the fan that goes with it. Um, uh, I can't remember. Does the fan work with the XS twenty? Yep. Oh yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, that's another amazing thing about that little camera. Yeah, yeah it's, it's universal. There's, there's, on the... no, there are no bad things to say about the XS twenty. It's it's a one sweet little camera. I love it. I, I it will be mine. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, I I highly recommend everybody get to try it. It's it, it's good. Uh, yeah, it is good. That's that's a really amazing uh, offering that they've come out with. It 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 hits a it hits a lot of buttons for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and the video it just makes the video so much easier. I am not a video person, and like just just right out of the box, you're able to use it and, and get great results. Yeah, I've gotten more into video and I've learned a lot more uh, as I've gone and so I'm I'm learning to appreciate what uh some of the specs that these cameras have. You know, it's it's pretty cool. You you can it's amazing what you can do uh and like uh, Fuji has a couple of dedicated video lenses uh, like the 18 to 120, I think. Yes, I uh, that, did that, use that. that. Yeah, that's a lens I would like to get because uh you have these function buttons and these that can control power focusing and power zooming. Yes. Which just offer uh, more, more a smoother movements uh, so that you don't have jerky motion trying to zoom the zoom and focus the, the lens ring. Yep. Uh, and because we're the, we're the short end of the stick on this, all this stuff. And, and so to have that kind of smoothness. So yeah, like, XS20 with an 18 to 120 lens, amazingly capable video setup right there. Yep. Super light too. Yeah, super light. And it's just, yeah, it just um yeah, I guess yeah, nothing bad to say about that setup. That that the that body and that lens alone gives you a ton of versatility for for stills and video. Totally. So yeah, read the article and have a laugh. <laughs> yeah, right. um, um, so we just have a few minutes left, right? Yes. Uh, uh, can we talk about uh, what else can we touch on briefly that people are going to want to know about or people are of interest? Because well, you know, let's talk about gushing about how great these cameras are. <laughs> you guys already know that stuff, right? Right. <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's finish up with uh, what you have planned for the winter and uh what's what's gonna come up next year well i signed up for 24 mountain 24 hour mountain bike race solo in february for my 56th birthday weekend. oh shit and so i'm training for that um that'll where's be nice. that gonna be it's in uh it's in just north of tucson arizona right on in february 17th and 18th and i did that i did the race last year as a team of four so I'm doing it solo this year. Wow. 
And so that'll be nine months after surgery. So I think I'm going to be sitting pretty. Um, I was, I haven't shot any YouTube videos for basically since the spring. I didn't do any through my recovery. And then when I finally did recover, all I want to do is ride my bike because I lost all summer. Yeah. But I'm excited to start doing some more YouTube videos um, because I know people really like them and I enjoy doing them. And I have some ideas of stuff that I was have wanted to do. You know, I, I had a video in mind and actually I'll just say I, after the the biggest birding week, I was going to do a video kind of comparing, like review the 150 to 600 lens and talk about that capabilities and how I feel it compares to the 100 to 400. So that's probably the first one I'll do when I get back to shooting videos. And then I want to do, I thought I maybe maybe doing some, a series of shorts, you know, like little one minute YouTube shorts. Yeah. Do some more tips on that. And I, I did a, I, I wanted to, I want to make at least, I want to do a work on another course this winter or late fall or winter. Um, the autofocus course and my photography and the brain course have done really well. I know people have gotten a lot of use out of those or a lot of information. Uh, for the next one, I'm thinking it'll be more of a creative course, like maybe creative tips, yep. uh, like the, the bag of creative tricks that I that are my go-to creative ideas. Um, I think that'd be worthwhile. I I think having that kind of uh, refresher for people. Uh, I I mean, yeah, I talk a lot about those things in my photography on the brain, but it's a longer series and there's a a more variety of concepts that I touch on, but I think in a more focused course, that's just on composition and, and the kind of, like I said, the creative bag of tricks that are kind of my go-to ideas. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. So that's 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 kind of what's in the the four mid out of my mind right now, the forefront or the mid mid back of my mind or wherever wherever it's sitting, wherever it's rolling around. Yeah. So because I, I want to get back to doing some more instructional stuff. Um, I, I've been I've enjoyed my time off, just riding my bike when I was back to riding this fall. Um. But as we go towards once the snow starts coming and um, uh, starts getting colder, um, yeah, I, I, I last year I shot, I spent November doing my filming my autofocus course. So it seems yeah. to be a good time, November, early, early December to to film and put together another course. So maybe this, like I said, a little more concise, a, a, a shorter course, maybe not as expensive as the autofocus one, but hoping it'll hit a lot of boxes for people. I think so. I think that's something that is, I mean, I haven't seen much on that. Like I'll see things about landscape photography, uh, composing that, but that's more on the technical side, less on how to approach it with like feeling. Yeah. And I, when, when I talk about composition, well, here's a, a, kind of example of how I think when I was doing one of the great Smokies workshops a few years ago, as one of the instructors, uh, on the last day we had this panel discussion and, and so people would 
get to ask, you know, all the instructors are on stage and people would ask questions. Uh, and so I remember, <laughs> I remember, um, I remember one particular question somebody asked, uh, you know, how do you, how do you compose? And they asked the guy next to me, you know, he's kind of an older, kind of a, you know, long, long time nature photographer. Yeah. Like landscape photographer. You know, and that's some silly youngster. Actually, I'm not super young now, but I kind of act like a silly young guy. <laughs> um, so good, man. But um, yeah, so like this kind of long established landscape nature guy. And somebody asked, you know, well, how do you how do you compose your photos? And he said, I do it by feel. And I'm thinking, that doesn't that that poor person asking the question, that doesn't tell them anything. That doesn't like they're like, okay, so you feel what you shoot. How does that help me? How can I apply? And that's I I just <clears throat> sorry, I think that different people have. I think that different people have different teaching approaches, but in that moment, I became very cognizant of, of, of how we can, how we can help people and what helps them and what doesn't. Yep. And saying I compose by feel, well, that doesn't tell them anything. And so when it was my turn, I, I addressed the same person and I said, okay, I want to address, I want to kind of follow up on this. Um, what I can imagine happening is that this guy has been shooting for years and he has this bag of tricks in his mind that are always, that he's like a catalog of, of techniques and creative ideas. And when you come across the scene, this catalog starts spinning and you pull one out and you go, oh, this is going to work for this scene because I've had the experience to know that this is a technique that can work for that scene and this kind of creative compositional idea can be utilized in this particular scene. So to and that guy, it, it feels right. Yeah, to him, it just feels right. And so that's how he articulates it. I shoot by feel. Well, yes, but, um, and so I proceeded to, like I said, I said, so this guy probably pulls all this bag of tricks out. And, and so if I were going to answer the same question, I would say, okay, I, I would, you know, look at the, I would gauge the light. I would look at these bag of different creative ideas. I would elaborate on some of the creative ideas that I might run through in my mind. And because I think that can help people. Their, their composition and creative or composition is kind of, it, it's, it's really cerebral. And that's kind of what my photography in the brain course is like. I, I yeah. talk about it from a very cerebral aspect. <clears throat> but at the same time, there are some very fundamental ideas and concepts that apply whether you're making uh, a graphic design document or a photograph or a song. <clears throat> Thing, you know, things like repetition, color theory, color relationships, um, foreground, background, just the way that you think about all these in line things up in your mind and how you you know create an image that has depth and enough contrast and enough interest 
among all the elements in the scene. And it, it, I know that a lot of people come across a scene and they get really overwhelmed with all the stuff in the, in the viewfinder. And it's often hard to distill all that down into a really concise picture that has a huge impact. Yeah. But that's what we're trying to do. And it's a process and, and you learn, you get better at it as you go on, just like any, anything. And so I want to try to make a course where I can well, not cough all over the. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you, man. I'm, yeah. I'm, I've been holding it in too. I've uh, been going through allergies. And so I want to make a course that, like I said, just kind of runs through and elaborates on some of the the fundamental creative ideas that are swimming in my mind that I draw from that I feel I can impart on people and, and help them, you know, basically share my bag of tricks with them so that yes. they can have these in their bag and pull out. So they come across the scene and they'll go, oh, it feels right to use this technique that that I learned from this guy. Um, but also I shot something last week and this worked, I figured out. So you, you you draw things from your own experience and from other people as well. <coughs> we'll see how so that you goes. know what to, uh, so you'll know the, the technical part, but you also know enough that uh, about a scene and what you've done so that you can break those rules and, and apply it to whatever scene that you're photographing. So knowing, yeah knowing the 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 techniques will help you either use it or it'll give you enough knowledge to know when not to use it as well yeah yeah and i mean the more the more things you have in your bag of tricks the more concepts and and ideas you have the more variation you can draw from when you're coming across a scene and <clears throat> Yeah, like just thinking about, oh, I'm going to draw this index card that has this tip instead of this cerebral. Oh, I got to line, I got to line all the stuff up and and make this beautiful photo and distill all this down. Well, how about I just reach into this this pretend bag and pull out this red index card that says, uh, this technique applied this way can be very effective in these kinds of scenes or something like that, or however it gets phrased. And I think that can help people. Uh, whether it's landscapes, because when I come across a scene, I don't think, oh, I'm going to use my landscape photography compositional techniques here because I'm shooting a landscape. It doesn't really matter. It's just what do I see and how am I going to react to this portrait or this landscape or this action scene or whatever it is. Because they're just fundamental compositional ideas, regardless of what you're shooting. Yeah. So. And that's kind of why I resisted doing a landscape photography course, because it, it's not really about landscapes. It's just because the landscape is, is as varied as anything else that you shoot. And so one person could shoot a landscape that's vastly different, and they both can be great. And and yeah, I just think there's there's either too much variation or at the same time, there's a finite, not a finite, there's a, a a workable number of ideas that you can have that can apply to anything. Totally. 
Yeah, does that make sense? Oh, uh, completely. Yeah. Hopefully, right. it'll make sense to the to the readers or viewers or listeners. <laughs> All of the above, man. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what you come up with uh, again. Uh, but before before we end, why don't you tell the world where they can find you on the web so they can check out more of your work and uh, more of your photos? Yeah, so I'm danbaileyphoto.com, and I'm Instagram and threads and Twitter at danbaileyphoto. And, um, yeah, and you can find my courses. Like, I think the link on my Instagram profile goes right to my course page. <clears throat> but you find them on, on my blog and website. And then, of course, I have my ebook called X Series Unlimited, which is like the best selling Fuji guide. Um, I know that a lot of Fuji users, or a lot of Fuji love readers uh, and listeners have have bought that over the years. So I really appreciate your support for everybody who's who's bought that. Um, awesome anybody book, who, by the way. who hasn't bought that, it's like the missing manual go to guide for Fuji shooters and the X series. And you can find that on my website and blog as well. Awesome. Dude, we got to get you back on the show uh, next yeah. year, uh, early next year, uh, yeah. for more Fuji goodness. I, I, I hear some things are already stirring over there. Um, I mean, they've already said that the next X100 is going to come out uh, sometime next year. Um, I haven't even heard any. I never paid attention to that stuff, but I haven't heard anything about that but i i would imagine that's i would imagine that's probably yeah i mean that's a great camera they it's a huge seller for them that's understandable they'd want to get the next version out as fast as possible totally uh so yeah we'll have to have you back on and when you come up with these uh new courses definitely come on to promote it i def i i, I yeah. see you succeed with these because they sound like great ideas yeah, and like I said, the the Fuji Love crowd has um, been a huge support for me over the years uh, with my with my ebook, the X Series Unlimited ebook. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I uh, use code Fuji Love for my autofocus course, get twenty percent discount. And then you can find me on YouTube, Dan Bailey Photo, as well. Awesome! And Great having you on, Ben. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do this again very soon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope to see you back next week. I wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter, mostly Instagram though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, X Mark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent. But if you want more of my voice, that's the place to check it out. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.